And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is with you, who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. Now when all... And this is God's word. <laughs> I mean, the rest is really good, so I, I, don't, I don't blame you. Thanks so much, Leo. Uh, well, good afternoon, Doxology. It's great to be back with you. And uh, for those of you who are new, joining us for the first time, a warm welcome to you. And so last week on Easter Sunday... Uh, We looked at that wonderful story in Luke 15, the story of the prodigal son, and we saw how through the resurrection, Jesus brings us home. And so now as we start this new series, what we're looking at is once we've received this embrace and place of belonging by God, how do we live? You know, when that younger brother came back home and he was given, you know, when his father protected him from shame, gave him a whole new kind of belonging, do you think he lived differently than he did before? Absolutely he did, and so should we. And so the guide that we're using for how do we live as people who have received this belonging by God is the Ten Commandments. Ten Commandments, you say? Yes, the Ten Commandments. So the Ten Commandments, there's something that Jesus repeatedly affirmed throughout his ministry. Uh, In the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 through 7, he intensified the Ten Commandments as the way we become more human and bring life to other people. And so as we talk about this, that we follow God's law, you know, as a way that we live differently once we belong to him, immediately we have a problem. And that's because you could say the Ten Commandments have a PR problem of sorts. I think for a lot of people, even those in the church, they're viewed as something given by a grumpy, cranky deity in the Old Testament to people he was kind of fed up with. Uh, Not too long ago, I was on an internet forum And there was a question to the effect of, you know, so hey, atheists in the crowd, uh, say you were to die and then you come back to life and you realize, oh my goodness, God exists and you're standing in front of God, what would you say? And one of the answers was, (laughs) the guy said, he said, I'd start praying, please don't be the Old Testament God, please don't be the Old Testament God. (laughs) And I mean, one that's just so sad, right, because it's such a 
tragic misunderstanding of, of who God is. And yet, even if you know the God of the Old Testament is the same God of grace, the same God who reveals himself in Jesus, who's fully merciful and fully just, I think for all of us, there is this sense of we don't typically think of God's law as something we should delight in. Right? That, that sounds weird to us. And so either we tend to focus on the law too much or we focus on the law too little. And in the church, we fight because everyone thinks everyone else is either focusing on it too much or too little. And so we need help. And so what we're going to do today is we're simply going to look at how do we relate to God's law? Or more specifically, how do we relate to God's law as revealed and summarized in the Ten Commandments? Because the Ten Commandments, as Jesus says, is a summary of the law of God. And so here's the, here's the outline we'll use uh, for this afternoon. I never know what to say, I never know what to, to say this afternoon or this evening. Maybe you guys can help me out there, by the way, since we changed our service time. But all right, so here's, here's our three points. So first point one, set free. We're going to use the title of the sermon series, right? So set free. Point two, two, but you didn't expect that one, did you? And then point three, enjoy God and love others. Okay, so set free, two, enjoy God and love others. All right, so first point one, set free. The most important thing about the Ten Commandments is that they don't start with a command. You notice that? So, and God spoke all these words, verse 1, God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. This is crucial. So, the Israelites, right before receiving these commandments, they were enslaved for 400 years under the Egyptians. So, no agency, no right to liberty, pursuit of happiness, I mean, their entire worth was defined by how good of a commodity are you for somebody else. It's a miserable way to live. And God hates slavery. Many implications there, right? God hates slavery. And so he rescues the Israelites from Egypt. So he tells them, put the blood of the Passover lamb on the doorpost so their firstborn sons don't get killed like the Egyptian sons. He brings them out of Egypt through the Red Sea. And then in chapter 19, right before the Ten Commandments, he says... You are to me a, my treasured possession, and you're going to be to me a kingdom of priests, and you're going to be a light to the nations as a new kingdom. In other words, freed by grace and beloved by God, here's now how you live as the full and free. And so it is for us today. It's the same way we relate to the law today. Right? So Jesus, the true and final Passover lamb, okay, he frees us through his life, death, and resurrection, not from the slavery of literal human oppressors, but the slavery of death, the slavery of living for self and trying to be our own God, which is also a miserable way to live. And then he tells us, you are my treasured possession. And now saved and loved by grace Here's how you live as the beloved. And this order, freed by Christ, now we live for Christ, makes all the difference in the world. So just a little while ago, I I got together with a friend, and he was telling me about this woman he knows who, she does orphan care. And she's a mom from Ohio. And long story short, she's now in Ukraine. And she is the highest authority 
overseeing orphan care in the Ukraine currently. And she was talking to him. She was like, I'm a mom from Ohio, and now I'm on calls with the Secretary of State. And so she was calling uh, my friend because he has a lot of contacts in D.C., so she's just looking for help because this is obviously overwhelming. There are over 100,000 children, at least, displaced in Ukraine. Now imagine two children, right? They're, they're fleeing for their lives. They don't have a family. They get out, they get out of the country, and two separate families adopts them. And in the first home, the child is told, here are the rules, and if you mess up one too many times, you're back on the streets. The second home, the child is told, you're in our family now. You have our last name, which means you have our wealth, and we are going to do everything we can to care for you and protect you, and we will never leave you or forsake you. Now, because you're in this household, here are the household rules. So here's how you love your new brothers and sisters. Here's how you love your mom and dad. Here's the room that you clean each week so our home is a comfortable place for guests. Which child life is going to be marked by misery and fear, and which child's life is going to be marked by gratitude and contentment? It's obvious. And with religion and American culture, you're always in the first home. If you do enough, then you know you are enough. It's only in the kingdom of Jesus where you get the second home. In the kingdom of Jesus, your standing before God is as secure as Jesus is standing before God. And the warmth God extends to you is the same level and intensity of warmth that God extends to his own son. So when you talk with God, when you walk with God, you're saying, My only, I only have one confidence for standing before you and being in relationship with you. But it's pretty good confidence. It's Jesus. And so this reality that we belong in Jesus' home with him and we are secure and then out of that we obey. I mean, if you're hearing this for the first time, I encourage you to grab a hold of it. And for the rest of you, this is something that a lot of us, if you've, if you've heard the gospel message before, we get it cognitively, but it really does take the entirety of our lives to live out. And so this is something we need to cherish and protect and proclaim to one another at all costs. Because notice, when we miss this, we become like the elder brother or the younger brother in the parable of the prodigal son that we saw last week, right? Elder brother was obeying all the time, but all the while was because he didn't believe his father really loved him, and he was miserable. The younger brother discarded the rules entirely. He looked very different, but the root was the same. Neither of them really believed they had the father's love, and therefore his rules weren't good for them. And so we need to hear what the father told the older brother at the end of the parable. You know, son, all that I have is yours. <laughs> and so that's the first point. Okay, so we have to start here. Every time we look at God's law, we start here. We're in the home, and now that we are, here's how we live as the beloved. Okay? So if we're set free, right, from death, from living for self, from sin, what next? And that is point two. Two, okay? So, notice that God doesn't say, okay, I have redeemed you from slavery, 
Now, therefore, live however you want. No, he says, I've redeemed you, right, from the land of Egypt, the house of slavery. Therefore, here's how you should live. In other words, he's saying, I haven't just freed you from something. I've freed you to something better. And so so hang with me here, because this is super relevant. So in our modern culture, the main way we think about freedom is exclusively in categories of freedom from. Okay, so freedom from authority, freedom from obligation, freedom from meetings, freedom from, you know, the need to say yes. This is how we we think of freedom. And a classic and clear example of this is hashtag van life. There's a number of millions of these hashtags on social media. And, you know, so what is that hashtag van life? It's where you, you know, somehow free yourself from the obligations of being in a confined office and rooted in a community and you outfit a van with a bed and some shelves and some string lights around and you know like a hippie looking blanket and then you keep posting photos for your friends to get envious about and right because I'm free like this this is in the cultural imagination of what freedom looks like now is taking a road trip an evil thing no and if you've outfitted a van God is not condemning you Okay, but to make it your lifestyle to live that kind of life or an equivalent, just have you ever noticed how profoundly self-centered it is? You're using your freedom for no one other than yourself. And someone who got at this idea is Atul Gawanda. So he, he wrote a New York Times bestseller a few years ago called Being Mortal. And uh, he's a surgeon, and he's reflecting on life in the face of death. And here's, what he's ta- and here's what he talks about. Here's what he says when he talks about this idea of freedom. Living independently is a common battle cry. Having more freedom seems better than having less. Here's the key. But to what end? The amount of freedom you have in your life is not the measure of the worth of your life, just as safety is an empty and even self-defeating goal to live for. So ultimately is autonomy. And you hear his point. What he's saying is freedom is only good insofar as it's used for something else. More specifically, for something that transcends yourself. But in our culture, it's mainly like, okay, we get freedom just to achieve some kind of self-actualization, which ironically is self-defeating because we only become ourselves when we're in commitments to community and to other people. And the beauty of the Ten Commandments is God doesn't just give us a negative vision of freedom, although he does free us from, right, sin and death and living for self, but he also gives us the positive vision. What are we to live for? What are we to live to? And so here's one of the keys to reading the Ten Commandments. While most of them are in the negative, okay, so thou shalt not murder, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal, and so forth, what the negatives are designed to do is to create space to then live out the positive, so it's not just thou shalt not murder. It's that thou shalt not murder, but also thou shalt forgive and extend positive compassion toward those you're tempted to show contempt for. It's not just thou shalt not commit adultery. It's, it show, it's treat every single human being with sexual integrity. It's, it's, that, it's not just thou shalt not steal. It's live to give. And that's amazing. 
And so we're not just freed from being enslaved to self. And when you live for self, you really are enslaved because when your emotions and the lens through which you view life is see me, notice me, adjust to me, you will constantly be angry and depressed and frustrated because things and people inevitably don't keep bending to your wishes. Just kind of a side note, there's one reason why parents get upset a lot because they, they keep trying to live like their life instead of now walking into this new way of life of living for their child. Okay, so we're freed from this idea of living just for our own wishes, but not just that, we get to live for other people and to a much more positive vision for living, which is so much better. And that's what we get in the Ten Commandments. Okay, so we're set free to a positive vision of freedom. And then number three, specifically, what are some ways that this plays out, right? And that's uh, enjoy God and love others. And so um, if you grew up in the church, you may have heard the Ten Commandments or just the Old Testament law in general taught something like this. So the Old Testament law was given as an x-ray designed to like really diagnose your heart, right? So the more you try to obey the law, the more you realize you can't obey the law. And so you need Jesus who, who obeyed the law perfectly on your behalf. That is absolutely true. The problem is it's incomplete. We also get what another use of the law is, is it's not just an x-ray and designed as a diagnostic tool to show us our need for Jesus. What the Ten Commandments do is also, once we've been saved by Christ— We're now indwelled by the Holy Spirit, which actually gives us the desire and the ability to obey God. And as we do this, we enjoy God and we bring life to other people. And so first, we enjoy God. So the Ten Commandments, or all of God's law really, is something to remember is God's law is never just a random rule set. All of God's law is always a one-to-one correlation with his character. So he says, you know, thou shalt not steal, but live to give because he is generous. God is the very pinnacle of generosity. He says, thou shalt not bear witness, false witness against your neighbor, but instead speak active truth and words that build up in people's lives because he is a God who speaks truth. Jesus is the true and life-giving word incarnate that brings life to everybody who experiences him. And so God's law is always an expression of his character. And here's where this gets, here's where this gets personal. And I hope you found this as encouraging for you as it has been for me. So maybe you've heard somebody say, and maybe this is true in your story, my dad was present growing up, but he never really shared his heart. Like, he was present. He wasn't necessarily mean to me, but his loves were elsewhere. And in that situation, this creates a shadowy and sad world for the child, right? Because one of the ways a child knows they're loved is when their father or their mother isn't just there, but checked out. It's when they're wanting oneness with them and opening their heart to them. And so a good father will say something like, I love baseball. So how about we go outside and I'll teach you how to throw a ball? Or I love books. So how about each night before bed we sit down together and and just enjoy a good book with one another? And as the child does this, he's enjoying his father 
he's beginning to look like his father. And recently I've been privileged to see this play out in the mother-son dynamic with Kelsey and Titus. Uh, Because Kelsey's favorite hobby, ever since I've known her, bar none, is lifting weights. She loves it. I know for a lot of people, that's hard to imagine. She just, she loves it. It's what fills her into the brim with happiness outside of Jesus. And so what does she do? Three times a week, she takes Titus to this private facility uh, where we used to work, and she goes and she lifts weights as Titus, you know, just runs around. And what we've noticed, I know some of you have pointed out Titus will do this up front at, at the end of service, is because Titus sees his mom and is around his mom deadlifting all the time, now anytime he finds anything that looks like a barbell, he'll just start deadlifting it. <laughs> like with better form than a lot of the athletes I used to train. And sometimes I'll, I'll be in the kitchen and, you know, Titus will be in his own world. And, you know, he's just buying, and I look over and he's like, he, he's deadlifting and just, you know, he's smiling from ear to ear. <laughs> And what's going on there? His mom has shared her heart. And so he's imaging his mom, and as he's doing it, he's enjoying his mom. And so, church, you have a heavenly father who doesn't just bring you into the home where, you, where you're present with him, but you have a father who's shared his heart with you and invites you to enjoy it with him. And how you do that is by actually walking in the Ten Commandments because they are the expression of his character. And so don't pit obedience and happiness against, against each other like we do all the time. But when you obey the Ten Commandments, you're actually enjoying God as you do that. And that's incredible. And I hope it helps us reframe you know, how we think about obedience as we move forward you know, with these Ten Commandments. And then so we don't just enjoy God, but also it, it helps us love others. And I think for a lot of us, we think about obedience and sin and, and blah, blah, blah as mainly in private terms. So maybe like some of us think of physical fitness. So I, I might exercise, I might not. But either way, it doesn't really impact other people around me. Like I feel better if I do it. I feel worse if I don't. But it doesn't really you know, have ripple effects in other people. And that's how we often tend to think about obedience, right? It's just ourselves or, or vertically bef- between us and God. And that's true. But this was a watershed moment for me when I realized this, and I hope it is for you. We have to understand that obeying God is one of, if not the best things you can do for other people. It really is. One of the best things you can do for people in your life is obedience. And you know this. If you have somebody in your family or if you are that person in your family who couldn't care less about the Ten Commandments, or even just couldn't care less about one of the commands, thou shalt not lie, or thou shalt not covet, it creates a miserable environment, right, for everybody around them. But we're given the opportunity to obey, not just so that we experience God, but so that we actually get to bring the kingdom of heaven to other people. You know, Jesus, as your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, as Jesus says, when we obey, it actually serves as the linkage between heaven and earth as we incarnate God's will to other people. That's amazing. And so God's commands always flow from love to love as we love other people. And so an example to wrap all this up, 
of set free to enjoy God and to love others. Uh, one of the things that Kelsey and I really are most privileged to do is premarital counseling. And uh, for mainly it's for couples in our church. And we love it. It's, it's a really special way to get to know people just in a new way. And I don't know, maybe you can talk to people who have done premarital with us. Maybe they'll sing a different tune. I don't know. <laughs> but we really like it. Now, imagine if this is how we did premarital counseling. We look at one of them, say the, the man, and we say, you need to take a legalistic approach to this relationship. Okay, so you need to find out what the rules are and you need to obey them. And when you fail them, you need to cry. And then you need to beg for forgiveness from your future spouse and hope that she doesn't cast you out. Oh, and you better point out all the ways that she's not following the rules too. That's going to go real well, right? The only, th- the only equally worse thing I can think of is, okay, you don't need to take a legalistic approach. You need to take a licentious, autonomous approach to this relationship because, you know, rules are just so restrictive and constraining, and, you know, you've already got this baby locked down. So, you know, you feel free to go on dates with other men if you want. Feel free to lie or feel free to use your money however you want. Do either of those situations make any sense? No, because rules always enhance and enable relationships. So instead, what a good counselor will do, right, is they'll come alongside a couple and they'll say, the Lord has revealed so many heavenly things in his word about to relate to other people. And so we lean into these things and we do follow the rules, yes, but it's not just for following the rules sake, it's to bring life to this other person. And this isn't just true for marriages, it's true for any relationship. And what God's telling us here just in these first two verses is this is how the Ten Commandments work. You've been freed by me. You're in the home. And so now follow these commands as a way to enjoy me and to, br- and to love and to bring life to other people. So it's not legalism. It's not license, but love. Okay, set free to enjoy God and love others. That's the Ten Commandments. Let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, I just thank you so much for loving us enough to reveal your heart to us. And I pray as we uh, move forward in these next ten weeks together and study your Ten Commandments that uh, most of all we'll experience you, uh, but then we we will obey, uh, that we won't take a I obey because otherwise you'll get mad at me attitude or, or take a, I won't obey because the rules don't really matter. Um, but we'll live as the beloved and as the free. And as we do this, help us to enjoy you more and to bring life to others as a result. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.